Father, this morning we just lift you up and uh, ask you, Lord, to help us. Help me in my weakness, my infirmities, and I ask you, Lord, to watch over us. Lord, as much as we desire to do great things for you, Lord, help us to tame our zeal by our spiritual necessities. We're, we often look at things, Lord, and, and ask you to help us, but Lord, we need more than that. We need you to intervene. We need you here with us to walk with us. We will be your people and you will be our, our God. Thank you, Father, for all you're doing and all you are. For these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning we are taking a look at the book of 1 Timothy, and I'm very excited to talk about that this morning. 1 Timothy is one of those books that is, of course, they call it one of the lead-in to the pastoral epistles, and First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, and you can even uh, count in there uh, in some respects, First and Second uh, uh, Thessalonians. But tremendously right here, this, this book is the book on how-to, if you will. It's how to do ministry. And even more importantly than that, it is the everyday reader's guide to what the church is supposed to look like. How to look at leadership and how leadership looks at you and, and those kinds of issues are found throughout this book. So I wanna give you a few things uh, about this. This book was roughly written in around 60 to 62 AD. Um, it was written specifically to Timothy. Now, you need to understand the title of our, of our uh, uh, is, is more than just an introduction. It, it really is a, uh, an in-depth study into the, the uh, uh, apostleship and then into the, even the discipleship of those under this, in particular, Timothy. Timothy is referenced here as Paul's son in the faith. Now, that's an endearing term, but at the same time, Paul wants to make sure that it is understood that he is conferring uh, authority in the, in the text and authority to Timothy. Because there is a, an issue that has, has arisen. He is, Timothy is now the pastor at Ephesus. John has left, and uh, there has been some controversy with John at the church at Ephesus, and so coming aboard here is young Timothy. And Timothy is the protege, the, the one who mimics his, his uh, teacher in the faith, and that is the Apostle Paul. You couldn't have a better teacher, you couldn't have someone better to follow after than Paul the Apostle. Now the, the struggle we have is with Paul in particular, Paul wants to transfer over to Timothy that, that knowledge, at the same time, strengthen the brethren in the church. And, and there's a lot of things happening here in just verses one and two. It's very formal. The writing of the letter dictates to us that it's a very formal letter specifically to denote authority. And so we're gonna come at it from a perspective of authority. Starts out very simple, not hard. It just runs right into it. It says, Paul, an apostle. Now an apostle, it, it has two varying uh, definitions. One is that of someone who has walked with Christ and learned from Christ. The other is that connotation of someone who gives a message or an ambassador, if you will, in that sense. And for instance, there are many in scripture who are called an apostle but weren't actually an apostle. They were an apostle in, in the sense of conveying the gospel, 
and, and being an ambassador with the gospel, but they were not uh, with Jesus and walked with Jesus. That didn't happen. There were, as far as we know, uh, 14 apostles total. Judas was, was removed. Matthias came in, and then Paul became the 13th. So there's a, a, a kind of a, a connection there that has to be. And, and Paul, as the 13th apostle, became the apostle to the Gentiles specifically. And so there is a, a deep connection that Paul has and a deep desire to help the Greek church and, and, and those around it to come to Christ and to come into faith. You know, for I've been a pastor now for, oh my goodness, 18 years, something like that. And in that time, I've uh, you have a strong desire to what, what we call is, is have others come up behind you in the faith and to follow after. And it is a strong desire that, that you know, you replicate yourself in ministry. Not just, uh, not just having someone who comes to Christ and, and, and that, but for those in ministry and those that understand from a leadership standpoint, you want to have others who, who are raised up behind you. I've often said that here in this church that when the time comes, if something ever happens to me personally, I want someone in this church to be able to come up out of the congregation to lead the church because there's no need to go looking for uh, you know, leadership outside. We should have been raising it up here. And I believe God is raising those men up here. And we're starting to see that, that working out. And I'm grateful for that. Paul writes this, and he's going to write this letter, and then 2 Timothy as well to kind of hone some things that have been happening in Timothy. 2 Timothy's written sometime later for a specific purpose to, uh, to help young Timothy in his struggle. He's got some struggles that are going to go on as a pastor in, in Ephesus. And then there's also the, the uh, epistle of Titus that is an interesting one. It, it, Titus is much, much like Timothy. Timothy may be like the number one, but there's a number two right behind him, and it's Titus, and Titus is doing the same kind of work. The, the, you'll see as we get into this that I'm going to be quoting from a, a great deal of Titus and a great deal of 2 Timothy, because Paul's admonition to young Timothy is to keep the faith. And there's a, a sort of connection that is very personal with Timothy. We're going to see that in a little bit here. So let's, let's dive into this. I'm going to give you a key... Uh, a key verse of this particular book, and that is uh, Timothy chapter, First Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen is the key verse, really for the entire book. Here's what it says: These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So really, Paul is writing this so that there is an understanding that there is a way in which we behave ourselves in correlation to the brethren in the church. Now, remember, we always define the church as a people and not a place. We can meet anywhere, but we have to meet. A church is a visible local assembly. They mu we must assemble to be the church. There is a struggle uh, in, in the early churches, especially when, when there was this, how do we, what do we do when we come together? And so Paul writes this to instruct young Timothy on how to do church. Because quite honestly, it's a daunting task. We, we, we struggle as leaders to, how do we lead a church in 
the proficient ways of God to, to bring them to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We want to we want to raise up people for the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians tells us to do. So how do we do it? What does it look like? Well, we all have to have our Pauls, and we all have to be Timothys. So you have to go out there, and I, and I encourage you to find someone that can be your Paul. Hopefully you can find that in the congregation here. The younger women teaching the, or the older women teaching the younger women, the older men teaching the younger men. That's the way it's supposed to be. Those who are more mature in the faith come alongside the younger men and the younger women to raise them up to help them get to where they need to be. It is our responsibility to be both mentor and mentee at the same time. There are those men out there who I have had the pleasure of, of sitting under as my mentor. Dr. Travis Plumley for years was, was my mentor personally. And I had some others, Dr. Joel Slayton and uh, Dr. Joy Harris and, and some other men. And then my former pastor was a, was a tremendous mentor to me, uh, Brother James Goff, and uh, loved that man dearly. And uh, taught me a great deal about ministry. I learned how to baptize by Brother James. It was, uh, I tell the story often, uh, we, were, we were baptizing this large man. Uh, and Brother, Brother James said, and if you know Brother James, James is about this tall. Right, about five foot six, maybe, and uh, he weighs about one hundred and thirty pounds, and and his his demeanor is is very. He, he reminds me so much of the Apostle Paul. He just does. He he carries himself that way. And Brother James comes to me one morning. And he says, "Hey, uh, I've got to baptize this man." And he's talking about a guy in our congregation, and he, and I was the youth director at the time, or something. And and I'll never forget. Uh, we, we got him down in the baptistry and, and Brother James said, what I need you to do is help me get him back up. He said, I get him down. He said, get him back up, it's a little different. So we're in, we're in this, uh, this time now. You need to understand the perspective. Brother James is 5'6". This man's at 6'4", 6'5". He weighs about 350 pounds. He's a big guy. So I'm in the front corner of the baptistry and Brother James is behind him in the baptistry and this guy's in the baptistry. Now, you need to understand, when 350 pounds goes under water, water levels rise. Okay? Now, we purposely left a little bit less water this because we knew of water displacement. Right? We know what that is. And so, as we, as we began to baptize him, Brother James got him under, and it nearly drowned him. It, it, it hit right about here. And as, as that man went under, my job was to push back up. Well, he came down as 350 pounds, and I got a push, and I'm literally, I'm, I'm watching the water like this. I got one eye above it, one eye below it, and I can't breathe. And I'm pushing. And we got him back up after baptism. And, uh, but Brother James comes out of there, and he goes, we, we, we did it, did a good job. And, and he's, you know, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I look like a swamp water rat. And uh, he's standing over there, and his, and his waders didn't even hardly get wet at all. But uh, the whole, whole point of the story is this. There are those men who will come behind you and teach you. And in particular in ministry, it's one of those great things to have someone like an Apostle Paul to come along and help you. I learned so much under Brother, uh, Brother James. He was, he's been, he was a, such a dear man to me. Uh, I remember about a, about a year and a half before I surrendered to ministry, he, uh, he brings a box of books to church one day and and he hands them to me. 
And he says to me, he's brother, dear brother, I, I want you to have this box. I'm, I'm cleaning out my library. You're going to need them. Well, I was a truck driver at the time. I drove for Coca-Cola. I was, I was slinging pop all day. And I was just doing this youth director thing to help out the church. And he, but he told me, he said, you're going to need this someday. And a year and a half later, I had surrendered to the ministry. And it's uh, a moment, sorry. That, uh, that February, I was ordained. It was almost, well, I guess it was 18 years this month I was ordained. And, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I, we were lined up. They were, there were 30 or so ministers, and they were having the charge to the pastor at the ordination. And, and I remember kneeling there in the altar, and Brother James came up to me, and he, first thing he said before he prayed for me, he says, told you you need that box of books. Little did I know he was, how right he was, how much I would need him. And as, as God began to work Brother James would come along in different periods of my life and helping me understand things. And then God would put me in with other men to help me understand things. There is a mentorship mentality that has to be present in everything that we're doing. The Apostle Paul was mentoring Timothy that he would be just like him. So let's dig in a little bit here and understand the importance to have a spiritual leader, a mentor to impart wisdom and knowledge. That's the whole point here. Why do you need a spiritual leader? Why do you need someone to impact or to impart wisdom and knowledge to yourself? Why is that a big deal? Well, if you'll look in our passage real quick, I just want to give it to you. It says specifically, let me get over there to it. He's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Now, there is a Something that happens at that transition point. For Timothy, he is he has to come along and, and be ready to receive the knowledge, be ready to understand his position. The, the, the pastorate at, at Ephesus, the, the church at Ephesus had undergone such demands on the ministry that even, even Timothy, who was right there under the direction of the Apostle Paul, was still struggling. He was a young man, and there was a bit of a struggle with the older generation in the church who was coming along and looking at Timothy because they had sat under the Apostle John. And now to transition to young Timothy was difficult because this is just a young guy. And a lot of times what happens when a young man goes into an older congregation, there's a disconnect that happens. Every church, I will tell you this from experience, has a desire for a young man who's been married 20 years has 30 years of experience, but wants him to be 25 and handling everything in the church. I entered the ministry at 29 years old. My first church was in a little town called Latona, Arkansas. I was literally, uh, apart from all the kids that ran around in the neighborhood, probably the youngest man in the town. The town was tremendously older than me. And in the church, there were several older people in the church. And the moment that I arrived in town, everything changed. I got there, and it was Saturday. I mean, we had literally moved in Friday night, Saturday morning. I, at 6 a.m., I get a knock on my door. And there's this old man standing there, and he says, 
hey preacher, get you, get your boots on and come over to the church. We're going to put in a toilet. That was my first act as pastor to put a toilet in the back restroom off of the uh, uh, fellowship hall. And I get back there and, I, and I'm putting this on and, and we get it all done. And I'm, I'm still, I had had coffee. I, this is my, I hadn't been there a, a day yet. And uh, he said, he said, well, why don't you come down to the fire station after you go have some breakfast, come on down to the fire station, we'll get you fitted. I said, say what? And, and he takes me down to the fire station, he finds me a pair of 13, size 13 boots and a fire suit and says, here you go, you're gonna need these. I said, for what? He said, well, you're the pastor of the church, you're also on the volunteer fire department. Makes sense. I was also neighborhood crime watch leader. I, I was also the, uh, what, what did we call that? Do you remember? Where I, I was CERT, uh, the leader of the CERT uh, unit there in, uh, in that area too. If there was an emergency that happened, I was the one in charge. I'm 29 years old, brand new to the ministry, brand new to everything, and brand new to this town, but I was in charge of everything. And that's the role you take on as a pastor. And can I tell you that I knocked on every single door in that town, talking to every single person in that town, trying to find out whether, whether I had people who just lied to me all the time. I knock on the door, hey, I'm the new pastor down here. And they say, yeah, we go to church down there. I'd been there a month or so before I actually went out door knocking and I hadn't seen them in church and they never came to church, but they said they remember down at my church. I had some who said, yeah, I'm a member down there, but I'm never coming back. I had several who said, I don't want to know anything about your church. And can I tell you that being a pastor has been the greatest gift God has ever given me. And to, to be able to pastor the Lord's church is my heart. It is, it's what I knew I was going to do. I, I never had any, had any doubts about what God would have me to do when he called me into ministry. You know, there's some who will doubt and they'll say, well, am I supposed to be an evangelist? Am I supposed to be involved over this ministry or that ministry? I knew from the beginning that I would be a pastor. I, I had little doubt in that. In fact, my, my heart is to see uh, smaller and older congregations to really come back and revitalize those congregations. But the struggle is real. We get set in our ways and, and it's difficult to do those kinds of things. But it still doesn't change the heart of the pastor. I, I, I strongly am encouraged by what I see here at Cornerstone. I know that it, it's, it's tough on us because we just see us as a handful. Can I tell you that we only have 22 people on our membership roll? 22. 90% are here. There's a few exceptions because of sickness and whatnot. Some people out of town and whatnot, but 90% of them are here. Do you know what most pastors would give to have 90% of their role actually at church? <laughs> That's why I'm encouraged. Several years ago when we purged the roles and, and made all those phone calls and everything, everybody thought I was nuts. I, I would call pastor friends and, and we, we would have conversations. And, because I came from a church previously to this one where we had over 380 people on the roll and 100 people showing up. Why? Well, I found out later why. Because they wanted to be, they would have their plot in the cemetery next door. 
The whole reason they joined the church was so they could get a plot in the cemetery. Ground costs a little bit down there, I guess. But here's the rub for us as pastors, as leaders of the church. The only desire you have when you do this is to do the will of God. That's where Paul is. That's where Timothy is. They have a strong desire to do the will of God. Can I tell you something? It, it, it wouldn't matter if only two of you showed up. I would still be here preaching. I would still be here with the message of God for that purpose. Now, I'm pleased as punch when more than two of you show up. Make no mistake about it. I would love to preach that all 200 of us here. I can't see anyway. I'm sure there's 200, right? You can almost hear you. But here's the thing. Paul wants to establish something with Timothy that there's an, there's an understanding here. It's that of leadership. It's that of authority. So let's talk about authority real quick with regard to Timothy. First, first point this morning, a commanding presence establishing authority. That's the first point. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord of Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So the first thing out the box is establishing authority by position. Paul establishes it as an apostle. As Paul begins to tell Timothy in this book, I want to make sure that you understand where I'm coming from. Now, did Timothy know? Absolutely. But here's the, here's the rub. This was going to be read in churches. So there needed to be an authoritative position behind it so that there could be that establishment of authority. So he starts it out beginning very quickly. Authority is right there in the, in the name. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The minister's authority should be as much regarded as his, as his sufficiency. Now, this, there's, there's a, you need to understand, as, as minister, we don't know everything. But we have a book that knows everything. We have a God in heaven who we can ask about everything. But one thing that happens in, in Protestant churches, and we're not even Protestant, we're Baptists, it's different. I know that some people don't denote the difference. We didn't protest anything. We were already existing at the time of the Protestant Reformation. But in, in churches like ours and, and things like this, we, we don't have a hierarchical authority in that sense. Now, God's placed me as spiritual authority of this church. That's different. But there's not like a pope of the Baptists. We don't have a pope. <laughs> don't need a pope. We don't even have a, an overarching authority of over the churches. We don't do that. We believe in ecclesiastical uh, autonomy. We have we we, we are self-governing. So we vote as a congregation. I, we lead as pastors, and and both of us come together and work that out. I believe we've done a fairly good job here of how to balance that. But Paul writes here as, as this place from this place of authority, so that you know when the pastor speaks, and there's this placement of, of him as a spiritual authority, there has to be a receiving on the other side of that, a receiving of that. If you will never accept the authority of the pastor, that pastor can no longer be effective. There are two things that will cause a pastor to leave a church. God will tell him, or the people will vote him out. And, I, and I've never held any, any bones about that. When the people have decided that they're not going to follow his authority, as a spiritual leader of the church, technically they, they can vote him out. 
I've had, I've had the experience, and I don't say pleasant experience, of, of being in that position where there were some, several men in the church who were against some of the things I was teaching in the church. I was teaching uh, uh, things like witnessing and things like doctrine and things like that. These men were very much against. They, they literally told me that they just wanted to hear salvation messages from the pulpit. But I was teaching doctrine, I was teaching theology, I was teaching uh, evangelism and all these other things. And they said I was trying to talk above them and they just wanted gospel messages. Literally, they tried to vote me out of the church twice. Both times coming short. And I told them, I said, I, I, I can only leave under two circumstances. Either God moves me or you vote me out. Those are your two options. And after the second time, God allowed me to leave. What's interesting is every church is different. And when we see the, the authority established here by Paul towards Timothy, you'll see it. I'll give you some verses in just a moment to, to proof that proof text that out. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Paul says to the church, this is Timothy, my son. That means he's of me. You need to hear it. And Paul says, I'm an apostle. And, and Timothy is my own son in the faith. Let me give you some scriptures to help us out here. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. This is Paul establishing some things here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Uh, he says that so that you understand, he, again, he's an apostle. He's establishing the authority ahead of time. So that you can see it and know it. Authority is important here. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1, the same thing. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. You see a, a, an establishment there? He says it at the beginning of almost all of his letters, with the exception of a couple, so that you can know that it's an establishment of authority so that you know that what he's about to say is true and right. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1, we see it here. I hear Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. We see that in our own passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 1, write the next book over. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Very simply put, Paul is establishing it by position. Secondly, he establishes it by commandment of God. We saw that in, that in that passage. Titus chapter 1 even says it in verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. See, there's an establishment of authority by the commandment of God. Now, I know that in Baptist circles, it's not popular. It's not I was uh, speaking to uh, a friend of mine about a church that we both knew of. 
And uh, there was a, a pause with my friend. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm struggling a bit with the pastor over there. I said, what's going on? He said, well, uh, I think he's a tyrant. And it is possible for a pastor to be a tyrant. I hope and pray that I've got enough men here to keep me in check to let me know that I'm not one of those. But nonetheless, I asked him, well, what makes him a tyrant? Well, he said that they, uh, uh, they were going to have revival and the uh, pastor wouldn't let, him, uh, wouldn't let him call who they wanted to call for this revival service that the pastor was going to call who he was going to call. I said, brother, I said, that doesn't make him a tyrant. That makes him an understander of scripture. He's the one who's going to be responsible when God asked what was preached and taught in the pulpit of that church. But in his view, because the pastor was uh, setting forth that as an example you know, of what to, what to do in the church, he was called a tyrant. I've seen tyrants in churches. I've seen pastors who are tyrants in churches. And can I tell you, there's a world of difference between that. Here, here's what a tyrant does in a church. You're not going to do anything unless I say so. That's a tyrant. Here's the, here's the other side of that. A man who's a pastor of a church understands the, the needs of his congregation. And sometimes he has to step up and lead spiritually. And a lot of times men don't like that. I get it. And so leading spiritually means you've got to put yourself out there. And it is a lonely hard place to be the pastor of a church when you're the only one standing. I, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was in a, a church one time where uh, there was a few members of the congregation that were literally everybody knew they went to went to the church there where we were and, and these particular young ladies were fornicating in the, uh, in the, in the uh, community. Literally out there just sleeping with everyone. And when I raised some concerns about that, the men pushed back against me and said, no, we can't say anything because if we say something to these families, they'll leave. Their concern was not for the young lady's spirituality, not for their family's well-being, not even for the church's reputation, not even for Jesus Christ. Their concern was they would leave the church and it would be awkward. And the reason it would be awkward is because some of them were related to them. But you got to stand. You got to stand as a pastor. You don't get the option not to. It happens. Establishing authority by the commandment of God, that happens often. Colossians 1 1 and 2 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's always an establishment by the commandment of God. As that minister comes in and begins to talk. Chapter, or excuse me, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 2 it says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm, I'm so concerned sometimes because we have pushed back against uh, authority so hard that we have not allowed God's commandment to shine through. Now look, I've been called everything under the sun as pastor of the church. I've been called legalist. I've been called everything. And here's where I push back on that a little bit. 
We have the Word of God as our guide and as our directive. It's there written for us so that we might know what the Word of the Lord and the commandment of the Lord says. It's funny. I, I've, I've had pushback. I had, well, here years ago when I first came, there was a discrepancy. Uh, someone asked me, he said, well, why don't you have, uh, you know, why don't you let women teach some of the Sunday school classes and things here, you know, with the, with the, the men and the women? I said, we don't do that here. In fact, I even said, here's what, here's what the Bible says about women teaching men. And this particular lady looked at me and said, I don't care what that 2,000-year-old book says. That told me everything I needed to know. I politely just turned to her and I said, well, this might be a hard place for you then because we're going to follow what the Bible says. You can't be liberated as, as a spiritual leader. It can't happen. You've got to stand, and it's got to be on the, on the right premises. Not on your own desires, not on, on what you necessarily want, but what the scriptures bear, bear out. And when you stop standing on it, you're going to fall in your thing. Point C, establishing authority and hope. You see, if your authority is just based on, on some kind of uh, demanding commandment, then it's not always it's not always palpable to people but if you establish the authority on hope which is to come well you can bring more people along here's the thing the authority of the word of God has only waxed in our society because we have left them without hope we've given them all the doctrine all of the legalism out there but we've, we haven't given them the hope we tell them that that we tell everybody out there that you know God has a plan and He is and through His Scripture we see it laid out, but they don't always understand it that way. But if you give them the hope on the other side, it helps them helps them with the other. If, if I if all I do is teach you the the doctrines without the hope, you're miserable because you're you're spending all your time trying to cross your T's and dot your I's and not looking to the future. You stay in the past and in the present on one side, but you never get to the future. It is the hope. It's not hope that drives us. It's hope that draws us. I have a strong desire to do the will of God and to follow his ways because of what is to come, not what it says right now all the time. Do you know that I don't like having rules all the time? None of us do. That's why when we get on a lonely stretch of highway out in the middle of everywhere where we can see forever, we push the little, little pedal on the, on the right-hand side because we like to go a little faster than the sign says. Can I tell you that if, if all you're living for is, is the legalistic side of Christianity and that's your end-all, be-all, you've missed it. Authority is established in the hope to come. The drawing of God to men is, is just that. We, we've missed it somehow whenever all it is is legalism for me. And when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I, he says in hope. He says, I'm going to establish you. I'm going to make, make sure they, have a, they understand your authority. But it's in hope, not in the moment in legalism. You're going to give them all the rules of righteousness, but can I tell you that if you don't, if you don't take the rules of righteousness and temper them with the love of hope, on the other side, you'll fail. 
and fail miserably. A, a lot of churches that I, I was in a, an old ABA church back in when I first uh, uh, came to Christ. And, and if there's one thing I got taught, it was doctrine. It was doctrine hard and fast. I learned doctrine before I learned about the love of God. I only understood the love of God in salvation. I didn't understand that, that God could be a loving God in my doctrine. I had no concept of that. But doctrine was driven hard in you. You were, here's what the book says, and you follow the book and you just keep going. And, and I wholeheartedly agreed with that because I love the Lord and I love his word. And I believed his word. Now, when they deviated from the doctrine and began to preach something other than what I saw in scripture, I had to leave that church. There was a belief in that particular, that particular church that only certain kinds of Baptists were going to heaven. Not even certain kinds of Christians, just certain kinds of Baptists. And so I had to leave that church because that's not what scripture says. Now, do I believe we've got our doctrine correct? Absolutely. And I'll preach it until I drop. I'm a Baptist by conviction. And, and the establishment of my, my belief system is simply scripture. I, I'm, somebody asked me the other day, well, what kind of uh, Christian are you? Are you Calvinistic? Are you Arminius? Are you somewhere in between? I'm a biblicist. I believe what the Bible says. My wife tells me that the greatest hindrance I have in my ministry is that I believe the Bible. And I teach it that way. So here when Paul is establishing Timothy as uh, authority, you have to temper that with the hope in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some scripture. First, or, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day ye heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. You see, they had the truth, but what they were learning was what was coming. They knew that the truth had to be tempered with the things that they were hoping for. I was talking to a lady uh, at work several several weeks ago. It's been it's been several months ago now, and we were having a conversation about about uh, religion. Is how it kind of started. She found out I was a minister. And I usually try to keep people from knowing that right away. Because usually they just stop talking. They won't talk about spiritual things if, if they understand you're a preacher or a pastor. So she had found out I was, and we began to talk about things and whatnot, so she was at least open to it. And she finally just said, you know, she was frustrated, and she said, I just, I, I, I just don't like religion. I said, I looked at her, and I slapped my hand down on the top of that. I said, me either. She looked at me like a cat at a new gate. Some of y'all will understand that. Some of you won't. She looked at me so strangely. She said, I don't understand. She said, I said, I said because if, if, if my beliefs, if my Christianity is a religion, I'm doing it wrong. That's what I told her. I said, because Christianity has never been about a religion. Christianity is about a relationship between God and man. It's where God reaches down and brings men up. Instead of man trying to climb to God. 
she looked at me like she had never heard that before in her life. Because, see, there was a disconnect. She had always seen religion as much rules and regulations and never as hope in glory. I don't know if it changed her mind, but she talks to me an awful lot now. She, she, she comes up and says, hi, how are you doing? You know, and wants to initiate a conversation about those kinds of things now where she didn't have that before. That's, that's an important step there. And I think that's for all of us. We have to establish that authority in hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll close with this one. This is verses 9 and 10. It says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You know, authority has got to be established in hope. For too long, the church has relegated doctrine and the, the righteousness of God aside so that we could put in that, that idea of love. And that idea of God is love more than anything else. I've watched it in the last 70 years. We've replaced good doctrine or sound doctrine with this kind of high in the sky thing. It works both ways. You can be on the, on the one side very legalistic. Here are the rules. And that's an extreme and we shouldn't do that. Then you can have the side over here that says, nope, God is love. Don't worry about all the rules. And that's extreme and that's wrong too. What we must understand is that God has established an authority of his word in his love. And if we can just grab a hold of that, that'll change people's lives. Because then it becomes, I don't do the rules because I'm afraid I'll break the rules and God will smite me. I obey the rules of the, of the commandments of scripture because God loves me. Oh, obedience out of out of love is a whole lot different thing than obedience for being obedient. You will find the happiest bunch of people you've ever seen who are obedient in love, but not the ones that are obedient because of obedience. So today, let me ask you something real quick here, just as, a, as an aside. When you see the authority of Scripture in your life, do you see it as a bunch of rules and regulations for you to follow, or do you see it as something I desire to do and to follow because of His great love for me? Where are you at on that? You see, Paul's trying to establish with Timothy in the very beginning of this book how we respond to that authority. We're going to learn about the, the student side of things next time. We learned about the teacher today. That's all I've got. Let's stand. Father God, help us today. Help us to respond out of the love you've given us to the rules that you've also given us. We want to be desirous to do those things and make us and help us to be obedient. But we want to do it out of love, not out of fear. Thank you, Father, for your word. And for, its, and for the, the love you show us through it. For the love we found in salvation. For the love we found in heaven to come. But thank you also, Lord, for the commandments of Scripture that guide us in our everyday life. Help us to seek you first. That'll put us in perspective. Give us some blessings. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.